0: Welcome to the Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministries Coordinator for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And we're going to be talking about the uh, lectionary text for the fourth Sunday of Lent. That's March 22nd, 2020. Uh, Before we get into that, just know that as a denomination, uh, we're praying for one another. We're serving one another during this time. As churches are closing, some churches are staying open, some are just doing streams at home. I've put up a running list of different churches that are doing their services online so if you want to look at that on facebook you can go to the dmt adult ministry page or you can go to the ministry council page or the discipleship ministry page the encounter study page Uh, i've tried to put it on as many places as possible so don't uh forget to still uh, attend worship the best way we can in these times i also encourage you just because you're at home doesn't mean that the church um, doesn't still need your support financially make sure you're sending that As you can through a check, or sometimes some of the churches have donate buttons that you can give digitally. You can also, if the church has it set up, to give through Facebook. So don't forget that the work of the church doesn't stop just because uh, of this particular situation. So uh, the texts for this week are 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13, Psalm 23, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 14, John chapter 9 verses 1 through 41. The collect for the day. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son Jesus Christ came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread that He may live in us, and we in him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forevermore. Amen. So as for general themes uh, for this week, we still remember we're in Lent, and so there's always the general theme of repentance and death to self so that we are raised with Christ. And I bring this up because in our text today, there is a death and a life in in every single text. So that's the first general theme, is that there's a death that becomes life. And at first you may not see it, but these texts are all about the death of something and then life. And it's, behold, God is doing a new thing. He's bringing life uh, to either the characters of the text or the situations of the text, whatever it may be. So in the Samuel passage, it begins with God Uh, asking Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him. Samuel had to acknowledge a dream had died. No matter how much we want to rescue it, uh, it's dead. And behold, God does a new thing. David is now going to be the king, and he's going to bring about a greater kingdom than Saul ever could have. In the psalm, there's talk about the valley of the shadow of death, but there's no fear. So this is the death of an anxiety-ridden existence that we have on this earth sometimes juxtaposed with the life of faith in God. In the epistle passage, there's a death of the darkness and how we used to live, but now we're called to live in the light, a true life, if you will. In the gospel passage, uh, death and life are symbolized in two ways. First, a blind man, which represents death, can now see, which represents life. And the Pharisees, who can physically see, set their eyes on the wrong thing, which leads to death. Jesus says it this way, those who do not see he has come that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind in other words the Pharisees uh, have rejected life and they've chosen death And that leads to the second general theme this theme is about living awake or woke is the term nowadays you may have heard the term wokeness for our contemporary culture it's a term of activism it means seeing through that Norman Rockwell-esque picture of our culture and understanding that there are evil symptoms that are actively holding people down. You can do with that what you want. could care less. But the term does help us in these passages as well. In the Samuel passage, even the great prophet is tempted to view things to a worldly point of view. So uh, one of Jesse's sons, big, strong, handsome man, comes before Samuel, and Samuel thinks, this must be the one God desires to be king. But then God reminds Samuel, no live above this world i don't see the things the way you see things get woke to my ways essentially is what god is saying to samuel in the psalm passage we have an example of how someone lives woke in the circumstances that they may find themselves the psalmist is choosing to live by faith not seeing the physical reality before their eyes but instead the psalmist chooses to be woke in that they are living life by faith when the writer thinks of all the evil around him he thinks about how God is in control and is even now setting up a banquet table in the midst of the trials and tribulations. The psalmist chooses by faith to see the spiritual reality around him, and that's what it means to be woke biblically. The epistle passage makes things quite clear. There's darkness and there's life, and Paul says, "Be woke! Do not slumber to the spiritual realities around you. Live in them do not live in darkness do not be the walking dead instead bring evil to the light so the light might disinfect it and and um, dispose of it in the gospel passage uh for me might be the greatest passage of scripture ever it seems everyone is asleep like every single character in this passage is asleep but god does something amazing and no one really jumps on it right except for the the man who had been born blind and is healed. Everyone is purposely staying asleep and unaware of God's reality. The Pharisees know something has happened, but they're actively choosing to darken the truth and to stay slumbering about the truth. The man who is healed says, Hey, guys, I don't know what's happening. This one thing I do know, that I once was blind, but now I see. And by the end of the passage, he becomes woke. A third general theme is that we have a choice on how to live. right? This, As I've been doing these um, lectionary starters, 85-90% of the time it comes down to this, that we have a choice on what to think about, on how to live, right and wrong, these kinds of things. But This theme is related to the others, the other two we just talked about, but essentially we have a choice. Samuel could continue to sulk about Saul or he could choose to move forward with God's plan. The shepherd in Psalm 23 could say, It's rainy. It's cold or hot. The sheep don't listen to me. I haven't seen another human being in days. Lions and bears are constantly harassing me and the sheep. People try to steal my sheep. But instead, the psalmist chooses to see things through the eyes of faith. Paul in the epistle passage says, There is darkness and there is light. You can hide in the darkness if you want, or you can bring yourself into the light and be exposed and so be healed. Uh, Paul says, Wake up, you sleepers of the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And the gospel passage again, as I've said, is a juxtaposition between the Pharisees and the man born blind. You can choose how you understand Jesus Christ. The final paragraph ends with the blind man in worship, but the Pharisees standing condemned. Now, to the individual texts themselves, uh, in the uh, si- Samuel passage, we have to see that there's a recognition of death of the human dream. Right, so God says, "How long are you going to grieve?" I think of Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Isaiah, David, Mary, Peter, Paul, Augustine, Martin Luther, and so on. From the beginning of time, human beings have had to experience the death of their own selfish dreams and desires, and then God give them a new dream, and a new dream being resurrected in God's God's will and God's power. We all cheer when we read in the book of Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. But if you really stop and think about it, that means something else had to die so that the new can come as jesus says unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it cannot spring up to new life in this particular passage it was king Saul. he was a bad king god tried to warn them um, not to choose samuel, or saul as king but it happened and samuel cared much for saul and he didn't want saul to be completely utterly a failure nor hurt nor anything but now god says it's time to move on i have something better Think about your church. How many of your members long for those good old days? The days when the pews were full and everybody loved everybody and they didn't have budget problems. Of course, this never was the case. There was always room for more. But oftentimes, we hold on to those human dreams. But those days are gone. They're dead. It's time to move on to see God do a new thing. It hurts, but something better is in store when we follow God and not be slaves to our dreams of the past or our dreams of the future, our dreams of the future. Second, humans cannot overcome this um, death until they're seen through the eyes of faith. Uh, That's why our churches are oftentimes frozen. That's why uh, sometimes uh, people can't move on to what God has new because they're enslaved uh, to the past or to their own dreams. Saul could not comprehend the choice of God because he still thought, he was still thinking from a human point of view but God invited Samuel and us not to look at things through our own physical sight but through the eyes of faith and of course we have an illustration of that in the psalm passage we submit ourselves to God God puts new lenses on us so that we can see things anew we can become discerning and wise when we're submitted to God and we can behold the new things which God has planned after David uh, third God's plan may take time we work we wait and we were formed and readied for a new thing that God is doing. After David was anointed, it took 15 years for him to be recognized as king. Was this because God was slow in keeping his promise? No, it was because God was preparing David and Samuel and the Israelites and everyone else in God's own time to do God's work. The key is to remain faithful and obedient, and all the while, God is forming and shaping and preparing us for something new. If you think of Abraham, how long was he without a baby? How about Moses? How long was he in the desert? Or were the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt? People often forget the fact that it was three years after Saul's conversion that he started his missionary journeys. There was a time of preparation that God uses to form and shape us to do God's things. So in faith, we wait, and we, like Samuel, do the work of God, trusting that God is doing the unseen work while we're waiting and being formed. And the psalm passage. It's a familiar passage. And if this outline seems generic, it's because it is, but it's scriptural. First, you have a declaration of the Lord as being the shepherd. This is both an affirmation of faith and a proclamation of the gospel. We are speaking what we believe and we're proclaiming it to others. It is a testimony that God is the one in this world that will provide rest, lead us through this life, give us provision, and always remains faithful. Nothing else on this earth that we can have, money, power, fame, human relationships, can provide us with those promises and that foundation. And so that provides the foundation for preaching this text as well. In verses 2 and 3, we read that God is a shepherd that provides rest for our souls. This is a needed topic in our hustle and bustle world. In fact, you bring in the fact that God instituted a Sabbath rest for both our physical bodies and our spirits so that we can do effective work of his his in this world. In verse 4, it shows that God leads us through life. Uh, Here recently, I've been working with a lot of 20 to 30-year-olds, and the thing that breaks my heart is that very few of them, church youngins included, look toward um, God or Christ or the church for guidance for what is right and wrong. Instead, they look toward pop psychology and politics to provide a meaning for life and a purpose for living and the decisions that they make. By faith, we choose to submit and learn from God, and to do the work which God allows us to do. He leads us. We look to him, scripture, church, faith, uh, disciple, uh, people that disciple us in our lives. We consciously turn toward the spiritual uh, provisions that God provides. Which leads us to verse 5 that God does provide. Not only can we make it through tough times in life, we can survive and thrive when we follow God's leading. We may feel some pressure, and we might learn what it means to be content, whether hungry or well fed, clothed or naked, but we find that once we get to the other side, we become stronger and our faith is strengthened. And that leads us to verse 6 that God's provision never fails. It's an important reminder. I don't have a whole lot of money, but me and my wife have theoretically lost about $14,000 in the stock market in two weeks. I've had my heart broken by my fellow human beings. But God's provision never fails. Remember, he tells us to think of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. They don't worry, but God provides. That leads us to the Epistle passage. God has done a new thing. First we're no longer in darkness, but we're in light. You might explain to your congregation what that means. What is darkness? What is light? Second, there is a talk about sanctification in this text. You can explain to your congregation that sanctification is a twofold process. First and foremost, sanctification is a work of God. But second, sanctification is our work as well in that we position ourselves to be matured in the Holy Spirit. As Paul says, we seek what is pleasing to the Lord, and we refrain from doing unfruitful works. Here you can bring in Paul's words to the Philippians when he says, My brother, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, pure, and so on, think of these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And then third, we are to be active in our sanctification. So yes, sanctification is a work of God, but it is also um, a work of ours as well. Uh, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This this, uh, is what it means to be awake from the dead, right? When Paul says, wake up, we expose both our evil deeds and the evil deeds of this world, and then we submit ourselves to God, and we work on behalf of the good to transform the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be woke biblically. And finally, our gospel passage today. This is really an amazing passage, and I don't have a systematic outline, but here are some points that you could use to preach. First, life happens. This is important. We live in a fallen world where bad things and good things happen to all kinds of people. The disciples show both ignorance and pride when they ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Uh, Christian ministry is less about finding out who is to blame and more concerned about connecting people with Jesus Christ for their healing. A second point, then, is how do you seek truth? When we are confronted with truth, like a man receiving sight, how do we react? We can choose to be skeptical, or we can in humility seek the truth, or at least follow where the experience leads. This illustrates how a commitment leads to our decisions. It is of supreme importance that we go back to what Paul says multiple times in the epistles. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on heavenly things. This This call... The reason that we set our mind on things above is it keeps us from shutting out the work of God in in life and on this earth. A closed mind is what scripture calls a hard heart. Third uh, point we got is that testimony is a fundamental way of proclaiming the grace of Christ. We cannot preach what we have not experienced. We cannot use manipulation to convince someone to follow Jesus. We can simply testify to what we have seen, heard, and experienced. And this will evoke different responses. But God is in charge of that. We are faithful when we, like the blind man, simply say, I don't know what's going on. All I know is I was once blind, but now I see. So maybe this is a good time to allow for testimony in your church. Um, And also, my last thing would be to call for a response, right? Uh, The former blind man says, Would you like to become his disciple too? And how naive of him. But that's what it is when, like, you worry about whether you're smart enough or you're spiritual enough to witness to somebody. This blind man simply experienced a healing, and he said, here's what I know. Would you like to become a disciple of Jesus Christ as well? That's an awesome scene. And then the final point is that after experiencing God, it should lead to praise. Again, we have that juxtaposition between the Pharisees and the and the uh, man born blind the man born blind experienced a healing and, and he was grateful to God and in Jesus Christ worshipped whereas the Pharisees were trying to shut out the truth and to stay in darkness my prayer for you this week is that your experience with Jesus had, has led you to worship that it has led you to a testimony in which you can proclaim and others then can come to a decision and say to themselves yep I'm going to worship this God too So, Lord, I pray that you would protect us, that you would give our churches power to minister in an uncertain future. Um, And even though we don't know the future, we entrust ourselves to you because you have a good future in store for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So give us power in our speech, give us discernment in our decisions, and give us wisdom as we try to figure out what pleases you. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.